Day before yesterday, I had a life moment. The sort where you've always been trying to explain and enumerate something that you're sort of reaching out for and you don't quite have the words for it. Well, suddenly, day before yesterday, I had the words. Because many of you know us well and you know that from the age of 20, we were involved with Young Life. We're still involved. We're with the Capernaum team here in Colorado Springs. But for so many years of trying to make Jesus clear to young people, I would see them come into the kingdom. They would say yes to Jesus. And then I would begin to try to help them understand what it means to become a disciple, what it means to be like those original disciples who became apostles and follow Jesus with everything you've got. And we read the Gospels, we read the New Testament, we begin to understand the foundations that have to be laid to become a true follower of Jesus. But sometimes I would think, how can I express this most succinctly? I've had lots of definitions over the years. I've had lots of ways to try to explain it. But day before yesterday, it was while I was just standing in our front hallway, looking out at the mountains, praying, it hit me. Discipleship is falling in love while falling in line. That's it. It's two parts. And here's what's lovely about it. Both parts are completely contingent upon the other. We cannot fall in love with Jesus of Nazareth without falling in line with him. And we cannot fall in line properly with him if we are not in the process of falling in love. So since day before yesterday. I've been thinking about this, driving in my car, uh, taking walks with the dog, thinking about falling in love while falling in line. And I began to think about my own story with Jenny, what it was like when I first saw her, when I felt that ooh, attraction, interest, intrigue, all the way up to where we are now, coming up on 17 years of marriage, and the way that I feel about her sitting here thinking about her right now. But my story is subjective. It's my story. So I went searching around on that fabulous tool, the World Wide Web, and I looked at different ways the sociologists, even scientists, talk about the process, the stages of falling in love. And what's kind of embarrassing to admit is one of the best stages of falling in love articles I found was actually in Glamour, you know, that incredible periodical. But I think it said it best. And so I want to share this with you from Glamour. I bet you didn't expect that signing on to this podcast. But here, according to Glamour, is the five stages of falling in love. Stage one, butterflies. Perhaps you've had that experience. I know I remember it, seeing Jenny across this crowded room at this art gallery in Los Angeles. That's the first stage, the butterflies. Stage two, building meaning it feels like you're beginning to be in your own little world. I certainly remember that. Perhaps you have that story as well, where you almost start to close the rest of the world out. You're building something that's just yours. Then stage three, assimilation. The idea that this person is like a puzzle piece that really will fit into, complete, and be the fullness of what life is meant to be. I remember that well. Where it suddenly realized, I realized it was like I hadn't even had a life until Jenny came into it. Stage four, honesty. That's the moment when you begin to be vulnerable and share your past 
share your mistakes, share uh, the brokennesses of the life that came before and even the brokennesses of where you are now in the midst of this relationship. That's stage four, honesty. And then finally, stage five, stability. This is where the intense infatuation actually subsides into a thing that's more powerful. It becomes a comfort and a friendship that really becomes the true uh, foundation for the rest of your life. That is frankly, I think, five beautiful pictures of what it's like to fall in love. They're well echoed in my life, perhaps in yours as well. But what about the other half of my phrase, falling in line? Well, I myself am not and was not in the military. My father was in the Navy. So I grew up going to naval reunions, being around these wonderful older men. But I also have lots of friends who've been in the Coast Guard, Army, Air Force, Navy. And it's a fascinating thing to hear about their experience coming into that culture. Specifically, if you hear the stories of of, of boot camp, basic training. So I did some research there to see psychologically what our armed forces in this country are trying to do specifically in that basic training period. Interestingly, there's five stages. Stage one is shakedown. This is just getting you immediately in line. Hey, put your bag on the ground. We're going to make sure you don't have any contraband. We're going to take some stuff away from you. We're going to get you this uniform. This is the shakedown. We want you to be part of this now. The old is over. Stage two, transformation. This is when the young recruit is being taught the fundamentals, the history, the values. It also includes fitness testing, pushing this person to a higher space, a higher limit. Stage three involves weapons. This is teaching you to have a personal ability with this rifle, uh, with this handgun, with your bare hands, because that matters to you personally, but it also matters to the entire army, the entire Navy, to your unit. It has implications far beyond just you. That's stage three. Stage four, it's really the tactical. It's self-discipline, and it's moving you into a space of potential leadership. The question there is, where and how are you going to fit in the greater thing? And then lastly, there's this graduation into a higher integration. And it describes this article I was reading, uh, the way that people's family will come to the end of basic training, and they will get to see their son or daughter as they're sort of adopted into this new family, this new way of being, this new code That is the process. That's the psychology and the movement through five stages that is basic training. Well, here's what I find so powerful, so helpful for my understanding of what Jesus has called us into as disciples of his. That in the five stages of falling in love, we have perfect pictures in the four gospels. The butterflies, that fluttery feeling. I picture Matthew, the tax collector, sitting in his booth in his sort of dead-end life, all about himself, all about his greed and his covetousness. When Jesus walks up with eyes full of love and says, follow me, I think butterflies erupt in Matthew's belly because he leaves everything behind and throws a party to celebrate this man for whom there is such love. 
Stage two, building, feeling like you're, own, you're in your own little world. I, I picture Jesus right after John 1, when he calls his first disciples, takes them to a wedding party where they dance, where they drink wine, where they celebrate young love. And he does his first miracle. And from there, they begin to travel all over the Galilee, being this band, this group, this unit who has such care for each other, but is also being so magnetically drawn to him. Stage three, assimilation. This person being this puzzle piece that will fit into your life. I picture Jesus up on the mountainside, praying all through the night, we're told. And then he comes back down and by name, he calls the 12 and he designates them apostles, which is something new and different. These are the sent ones, meaning where they're going to go, they are part of him. They're drawing his life out across the countryside. That's affection. That's saying, I love you so much because of the way you're beginning to love me. Then stage four, honesty, that availability of opening out your heart, of being vulnerable. I think of Jesus in Caesarea Philippi when he turns so vulnerably to his friends and says, who do people say that I am? And they give these sort of off the cuff answers. But then he says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And in that moment, Peter, heart full, in love, says you are the Christ. And then finally, stage five, stability. Moving away from that sort of crazed infatuation into this comfort and this seriousness, that friendship. I picture the disciples after the triumph of the Jerusalem entry, but then the trauma of the trials the sentencing, the execution and death of Jesus. I have the image in my heart and mind of Jesus never to be gone again from their midst, standing right there in the center of the upper room saying to them, peace be with you. This love that has been born in these hearts of the 12 and all of the 120 and eventually the 3000, then the 2000 beyond that, this love relationship that we have for Jesus need never ever end. Friends, are you falling in love with Jesus of Nazareth? Have you today done something that has sealed your love for him in greater measure? That's the first half of the equation. But what about falling in line? Well, there's the shakedown. There's getting in line. And I love that imagery of the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus. What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, follow the commands. And very self-confidently, well, these things I've done. And we're told in one of the gospels, Jesus' heart then warmed to him. And he says, if you want to have eternal life, give away everything you have and come follow me. That's the shakedown. That's a choice. That's bringing your volitional will to the table and saying, I'm going to actually leave behind everything that I know about myself and about the world to follow this man, no matter what it costs. Stage two, transformation. The fundamentals, the history, the values, the fitness. This is Jesus sitting down in the tall meadow grass in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Do not judge, lest you be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Jesus lays before them and us 
exactly what the values of this kingdom are. And we need to follow him, fall in line and do what he's asking. Stage three, weaponry, a personal ability with the weapons given that has implications far beyond us. This is Matthew 10. This is Jesus sending out the 12 saying, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons, freely you ever give, freely you have received, freely give. We don't have a choice whether we want to hold this to ourselves or give it away. You cannot follow Jesus without giving away the fullness of all the power of the kingdom of heaven through yourself. You don't have a choice. Stage four, the tactical, the self-discipline, the leadership. I think of Jesus saying in a couple of places in the gospels, anyone who wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Friends, tactically, in terms of who you are in yourself and in terms of the leadership you might exert in the kingdom of heaven, you have no choice but to deny yourself. You are not the center of the universe. You're not even the center of your own life. Your job is to do exactly what he asks you today without any reserve, without any recourse to your own flesh and to follow him, to listen for the spirit's voice and to do exactly what he asks. That is tactical. And then I love the final stage of that falling in line, graduation into integration. And I'll simply read this, Romans 8. All who follow the leading of God's spirit are God's own sons. And you are not meant to relapse into the old slavish attitude of fear. You have been adopted into the very family circle of God. And you can say with a full heart, Father, my Father. The Spirit himself endorses our inward conviction that we really are the children of God. Think what that means. If we are his children, we share his treasures. And all that Christ claims as his will belong to all of us as well. Yes, if we share in his suffering, we shall certainly share in his glory. Friends, if you travel in our circle, I can guarantee you're soon to be sick of hearing me talking about falling in love while falling in line. But I believe it's the most direct, explanatory understanding of discipleship I've ever been given by the Spirit of the Lord. Day before yesterday, it changed my life. And I don't want to stop thinking and talking about it. And I hope it's been a blessing to you. Let's go do it. Let's go fall in love with him while we're falling in line. And let's fall in line while we're in the midst of falling in love. Thanks for listening.